We are living in challenging and uncertain times where leaders need support and encouragement to help them learn to navigate the world we are in. The Missional Formation Podcast is designed to help leaders thrive by promoting healthy rhythms that connect spiritual and missional practices. This podcast is hosted by two friends, an Irishman and an American. My name's Mark. My name is Winfield. And together we have more than four decades of experience training and coaching leaders from around the world. Each episode of the Missional Formation podcast will include conversations between us as well as interviews with leaders from around the world. And they're going to explore a variety of topics, including hope, resilience, and healthy rhythms for doing ministry in today's hectic world. We invite you to grab a cup of coffee and join us for the conversation. Welcome to the Missional Formation Podcast. On today's episode, we have Pastor Brandon Beal. Brandon is a pastor of Venture Church, Mill Creek, Washington State. Brandon shares with us his journey of what it's meant to be hopeful for him during his life, and especially during the last year, and what it was like to go from one of the fastest growing churches in America a year ago before COVID to one of the fastest declining. He also shares his lessons about what he learned about racial tension and political tension in the church and helps paint a bright future for us. Enjoy. Hey, welcome to the Missional Formation podcast. On this week's episode, we've got my great friend, Brandon. Brandon, how are you? I'm doing good, Mark. How are you doing? I'm doing really good, really good. I'm just thinking back to the first time we met, 2016 in Asbury. Yeah, it was a long time ago. You had a lot more hair back then. I did, a lot more hair. My hair's see-through now. Um, but, uh, I remember going to Asbury. I remember thinking, there's an MFC fight on at the weekend. There's no way anyone's going to be interested in an MFC fight at Asbury. And then we met. I met you. Do you remember that? We went to see the fight in the bar. Yep, Buffalo Wild Wings, I remember. Yeah, Buffalo Wild Wings. Yeah, it was brilliant, Mike. So. Schedule my whole life around those MMA fights. <laughs> brilliant. You and I disagree on Conor McGregor, but, you know, whatever. Yeah, well, that's how we sort of keep in contact. We send <laughs> abusive messages to each other, don't we? Never yeah. Never so. That's, I mean, because you were a Conor McGregor apologist, and I kept saying that the UFC just kept feeding him fights he could win. Yeah. As soon as he fought anybody tough, he's been losing. Yeah, yeah. Well, he's Now, still... remember, I do want to say this, that I am 25% Irish, so I'm sure we're cousins somewhere. Of course, of course. Especially with the temper part. Um, yeah, he's, he's been fading a wee bit, hasn't he, Connor, the last while? Yeah. Yeah. He's, I, I'm, ex- I'm going to go to the fight when he fights uh, Poirier again in Vegas in July. I'll be at that fight. But... Oh, nice. Nice, love it. Well, it's so good for you to be on the podcast today. Say we're good friends. We've been friends for years. And one thing that I've always um, admired about you, of course, in in a long list of things that I admire about you, is that um, you have this optimistic outlook. You've got this hopeful outlook. And and, uh, 
yeah, it just shines through sometimes. I notice it in your conversations and, and who you are. And do you want to just say who your background and who you are first and where you're at? Yeah, I, um, I live in the Seattle area. I pastor Venture Church. Uh, my wife and I started Venture Church about 16 years ago. Uh, we're a multi-site church. We have seven campuses up and down the I-5 corridor. We have a campus in Costa Rica, another one in Idaho, and we're in the process of launching two more this year. Oh, cool. Love it. Love it. Well, really, the, the premise of these conversations are talking about hope. And based around three questions of what hope looked like for you as growing up, what you've learned about hope in the past year, and also what a hopeful future looks like. So what did hope look like for, for, Brandon, grow, for Brandon growing up? So when you sent me these questions ahead of time, and that was actually the one that I reflected on the most. Mm. Um, I did not grow up in church at all. Um, in fact, I didn't, I had never gone to church my entire life and I committed my life to Christ when I was in high school. And so I was asking myself, like, so before Jesus, what did I have hope in? In fact, so much so that we had a church service last night and I talked about this question because the way I illustrated it was, um, I had some time off in December and I didn't know what to do. So, uh, for whatever random reason, I bought a puzzle. Have you ever been a big puzzle guy? Yeah, yeah, I like puzzles, yeah. Uh, I'd never done one before. Right. So I got this thousand-piece puzzle, and I would spend like three hours a night for two weeks doing this puzzle, and it was about six days into it, I was convinced I was missing a piece. Like literally convinced there was a piece missing. And as I got closer to finishing the puzzle, the weight of the reality that I was right, this is missing a piece, just became more and more intense. And then when I was done with the whole puzzle, I was missing a piece literally in the middle. And I scoured my house trying to figure out where this missing piece was, and it was nowhere to be found. And I would sum it up, me as a kid, that was me. That I, I had no faith background. I didn't have grandparents that went to church. My parents didn't go to church. But I grew up just feeling like something was missing, that my life didn't have purpose and meaning, and it was lacking in hope. And mm -hmm. like one of the fundamental things about me that just has kind of formulated me as a preacher today is I just have this belief that every single person is created to be in a relationship with Jesus, that we are created with this hole in our heart that can only be filled by Jesus. But um, until we find him, we try to fill that hole with all of these counterfeits. I mean, we will try to self-medicate, we'll try relationships, we'll try fame, we'll try wealth, career, whatever it is, power, and all of those things in the end. It's kind of like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, where he looked at all of his life afterwards. He looked at everything he built and all of his wealth, and he said it was meaningless. It was a chasing after the wind. And I think that is what I believe about people. And I sum it up to say that was me as a kid is, you know, I wasn't a bad kid, but the weight of my mistakes just got heavier and heavier and heavier. And then when I went to high school um, through some relationships, 
I, I always say that Jesus just at right, the right at just the right moment, he crossed my path mm-hmm. and Jesus was what I was missing. And so I would say up to the point I had Jesus until I found Jesus, I really feel like I was living a hopeless life. Hmm. Hmm. Did hope scare you then to that point before that point? Were you scared to be hopeful? Yeah. It, so somebody last night when I was teaching uh, on this, somebody said, well, did you ever pray? And I would occasionally, like I, I would pray, but it was kind of more one of these like Hail Mary type prayers, like mm-hmm. the just in case, like, Hey, if you're out there, whoever you are, like, think about me, like, I'm sorry for like my life. And, and I mean, I grew up, I had a really dysfunctional relationship with my dad. I, I was a Gen Xer. So typical Gen Xer where, you know, I would get home from school. My parents weren't home till eight. So I kind of raised myself with my friends and, um, yeah, I, I knew that something was missing the entire time. That's why I think for me, like when Jesus encountered my life, it it was why I was just all in. I mean, it was like from that point on my whole life turned around and changed and it was because ultimately what I was missing was hope for my future and hope for life and mm-hmm. hope for the world and hope for my family and my friends. And, and uh, that was the, the key thing that I think made it. So once I committed my life to Christ, I never strayed. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Love your story. Love it. I just wonder at the moment in this time, especially in the last year, where so much of our certainties have disappeared, so much of our our placeholders in life have have become yeah less certain. Like, what what has hope looked like for you in the past year? So, or maybe what have you learned about hope as well? Yeah, I would say two things. Yeah. Um, so one of my fundamentals is that I believe every person is created with this emptiness that can only be filled by Jesus. And I think another fundamental thing about me as a minister, and I learned this in my probably first five years doing ministry. And when I first started ministry, everything, would, you know, you define success and failure differently back then. I mean, it was if a lot of people showed up, you felt like you were winning. And if no one showed up, you were losing. And so every week it was, I'm winning, I'm losing, winning, Mm -hmm. losing, winning, losing. And I had a a moment with Jesus after a bad service where I thought I should just quit. It's time for me to turn in my profit badge. I'm not good at this. And I just had this moment with Jesus and he brought me to this passage in Thessalonians that says, be joyful, always pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances. Now, when I read that, I thought, Jesus, that's not very helpful right now. And then I felt like the Lord said, Brandon, why don't you read the next verse? You never read the next verse. And it says, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I paused there for a moment and I began to think about it. And I thought, wow, God's will for me isn't that I pastor a huge church. Mm -hmm. God's will for me isn't that I, you know, lead a large organization. God's will for me is that I be joyful always, pray continually, and give thanks in all circumstances. That literally, God's will for me is me and him. That I have a right relationship with Jesus. That it is well with my soul. So, like, that's the second thing about me. Beyond anything, I just want to be right with Jesus. I just want to be good 
with me and Jesus. So that is where my hope begins and ends, me and Jesus. But here's what happened this last year. It, 2020 was insane. So when I first met you, I, um, we were at Asbury four years ago, and I had just made a decision to build a huge building for our church. So and literally while I was there, I'd sold the property and had begun the process. Well, what I thought was going to take two years took four. So it was brutal. Fun, I mean, it was terrible fundraising experiences, but through the process over and over again, God just was insanely faithful. Like I tell my church all the time that you are meeting in a building that is nothing short of a miracle. I mean, God didn't just part the Red Sea once. He did it like five times. Like, I mean, he raised Lazarus from the grave a dozen times so that this building could be built. So believe it or not, guess when our grand opening was? January of 2020. <laughs> so we opened our brand new building that I'd been working on for four years. What can go wrong, huh? What could go wrong? I know. <laughs> so by the end of January, three services, standing room only. By the end of February, our church gets chosen one of the fastest growing churches in America. So I had all these write-ups and I'm doing all these reports. Well, you know, it was kind of like, yes, we made it. And in March, COVID hit. So I, I, my running joke for literally a year was we went from the fastest growing church in America to the fastest declining church in America, yeah. all because of something that was totally out of my control. Yeah. Um, but here's where my hope came from. So like every pastor in America, and I'm sure you talked to a ton back in March and April, like we didn't know if we were going to survive. Like, I mean, I got a brand new mortgage payment here. Uh, you just didn't know what was going to happen. And really God was super faithful mm -hmm. and we survived COVID those first initial months. I actually think the most challenging part of 2020, like the part that uh, I think did a lot of pulling weeds for the church generally in America in particular, yeah. wasn't so much COVID. Now we had people that were, arguing over silly things like wearing a mask or things like that. And, you know, you and I took all these courses about being missional. And, you know, so the whole time I'm like, Hey, I, whether you, whether you agree with this or not, wear a mask because your neighbor wants you to yeah. love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, the amount of times I had to coach people with just wearing a mask is not killing you, but your neighbors are afraid. When you don't wear a mask, it is killing your witness and mission in your community. The number of times I had to share that with our church was ridiculous. Yeah. But the hardest part of 2020 was what happened to George Floyd. Yeah, yeah. Because that started racial tension in our community. Like I'm in Seattle. Yeah. And uh, Seattle started having riots all the time. Um, Seattle had that little chop place that started where a group of people just literally took over an area of Seattle for a month. Yeah. Um, and that started some massive tension in the church. And, and I would say like one of the most unique parts about it was, is you just discovered that there were people that you thought were really good Christ-like people that really honestly had racist tendencies. Yeah. That when push came to shove, they 
their hidden racism was thrown to the top, thrown to the surface. Then that division started. We finally start working through that. And then the most polarizing election in my entire lifetime. Yeah. So all fall, it was this. And you had like, I don't know how many people you encountered that were this way. It's probably the benefit of being in Ireland, mm-hmm. but that there was, for whatever reason, there is, there is a group of Christians, a contingent. I call it like this 20% fringe in the church that really, no other way to put it, they made Donald Trump a Messiah. Yeah. And I mean, they, they would hear a prophetic word that he's going to get reelected, that he's going to get elected at the last second. And, then when he wasn't elected, that he's still going to get inaugurated. And so there is the tension that you have with that. Then you have this other 20% of people that are like, you should be caring about the poor and the broken and the border crisis and the racial divide and all of this. And those two groups were vicious with each other. Um, And they just, the 60% in the middle, they kept trying to pull them to the left and to the right. That was the hardest part of the entire year. COVID, piece of cake, all the racial election stuff, complicated. In the end, where my hope came from, number one, we survived it. Like literally, our our church came out the other side. We just, we, we saw tons of people get saved this year. We had shockingly the largest giving year in the history of our church. And we pivoted. And we made a decision to really go all in online and, and just our online campus just exploded. And uh, God was just really, really, really faithful. And probably the last thing, I know I'm way long answering this question. I'm sorry. But um, the other key thing for us is we just decided our church exists to be purveyors of hope. Yeah. So in a, in a community that is full of strife and fear, we want to be bringers of hope. So the only thing we would do, we would only communicate hope. We served our community. We brought food to the community. We clothed people. We started all kinds of support groups and um, recovery ministries. And all, just because all we wanted to do is bring hope. And in the middle of all this, while all this craziness is going on around us, we just stayed very like missionally focused on we exist to be a voice of hope. We are going to be purveyors of hope. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is what we're going to do. And I just believe that God honored it. Mm-hmm. And in the end, it united my team. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. And so 2020 was a year like I've never experienced before. And frankly, don't ever want to go through it again. <laughs> but I feel like we came out the other side with a group of people that are deeply committed to living on mission, loving their neighbors as themselves and wanting to serve and be voices of hope in our community. And if it meant that God had to remove some of the crazy left and right people that I had, I'm totally okay with it. Love it. Love it. It's amazing. Jakers. That's a lot, isn't it? Yeah. I, for me, and it doesn't say a lot, and again, money is a small part of it, but when every pastor friend of mine, especially at large churches, we were all just like, I don't think we're going to survive this financially. Mm-hmm. When we come out of COVID with the largest giving year in the history of our church, 
And by the way, we started the first quarter of 2021 is far exceeding last year too. So it's just been, we just feel like God is honoring what we're doing and blessing us. And um, yeah, it's, it's encouraging. Love it. Love the story. So what does a hopeful future look like to Brandon Beals? What does it look like for you going forward? Well, I think there's no gray anymore in the church. So I think that helps that um, people like kind of the lukewarm, apathetic, kind of playing the spiritual game. People all left the church in America in the last 12 months. Uh, they all moved to cities that they felt were a little bit more politically aligned with them. And so what we're left with is, and, and you talked to probably every pastor that you've talked to would say this, that we're left with people that love Jesus, that are bought into the mission in our community. And, and that's what makes me really hopeful is with everything that's going on, you and I know in the end, everybody needs Jesus. Mm -hmm. So I've, I've told my church this all year. I've said beyond all the craziness, I believe Jesus is the hope of the world. The gospel changes lives and the church through all of its imperfections, this beautiful mess that is the church. This is God's chosen institution to spread the good news of the gospel. And we're just in a season where, uh, the church gets an opportunity to kind of reinvent itself yeah. and focus more on mission. And the cool thing is when we focus on mission and we focus on the message of the gospel and we focus on ultimately what we all agree on and not the little sub issues that yeah. Yeah. divide churches and denominations. We just focus on Jesus is the hope of the world. I mean, that is the most attractive message that we could possibly share mm -hmm. is People like Jesus when they get to know him. They just, they just don't like us. Yeah. Um, because we're a bad representation of him. And I'm hopeful because it's forced people to really evaluate themselves and say, like the line I always use at Venture is I say, are you making Jesus look good? Yeah. Like we, we exist to make Jesus look good mm -hmm. because we want people to meet Jesus. Just like when I was a teenager, Jesus at just the right time crossed my path. That is what is happening like crazy for people. The most unexpected thing for people is Jesus is crossing their path. Yeah. And so that's where my hope comes from. I think a church renewed on mission, less focused on Christian celebrity, uh, where churches are more focused on loving their neighbors as themselves and less focused on how many followers do I have on Instagram or Twitter? Just like that stuff got so ugly for a while. Yeah. Yeah. And when we get focused back on our mission, yeah. I mean, the, the Jesus that we serve is good and great things happen. Anyways. Yeah. yeah. There, there's definitely seems to be a common pattern of alignment across churches, across the world, what you've just been talking about. You know, all them books that they made us read, all those papers they made us write about the missional paradigm. It just feels that we're, we're really into it now, doesn't it? Like there's nowhere to hide for the church. You know, I don't, there isn't at all. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and we're so like now 
we're being held accountable for everything that we say now more than ever before. And there were things that we said that weren't theologically accurate and we're getting nailed on nailed by it because our messages are all over everywhere. You know, if we said something political that we probably shouldn't have said, um, I I think it's really healthy accountability for us to keep the clarity of our message. And I, I mean, I preach Christ crucified. That's what I do. I, I preach Jesus at venture. Yeah. Yeah. Love it, boy. Love it. Love it. It's been fascinating listening to you. Um, I love your heart. Love your story. Is there anything you like just a random question? Is there anything you know now that you didn't know a year ago? Um, I would say I, I learned a lot who, who the people in my life, I, I would say that were truly passionate followers of Jesus. That's, that's mm. what I learned. Yeah. Um, and there, there were people that I wasn't sure about and just the, I like the tension of 2020 yeah. brought to the surface, all of the hidden sin in people's lives. Yeah. Like if, if there was stuff going on that people were trying to hide, it just got shouted in the streets throughout this year. Yeah. And, and so I just kind of found out like who my, who my real uh, leaders were, who my real followers of Jesus were, who are the people that I could legitimately move the mission of the church forward with and, and who it ended up being was a surprise. Mm-hmm. And in the last, I would say 12 months, some of my absolute closest friends got crazy political and packed their bags and moved to the South. Yeah. You know, couldn't Seattle was too liberal or the West coast was too this or too that. And they just ran away. And I watched that happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think another, another thing that it helped me with is uh, it, I think it was, do you remember how, this is me being way more open than maybe I should on a podcast, but, uh, so we did our first year at Asbury mm-hmm. and our group, I mean, we were all tight and we had a blast hanging out together and probably like you, other than the Nelson part, we were all really looking forward to coming back the next year just because we kind of missed each other. We become yeah. kind of homies yeah. and yeah. Yeah. all wanted to hang out yeah. and I'm in the middle of fundraising and trying to get permits to go through and all this craziness in my church. And honestly, dude, I had a full on mental breakdown. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I ended up, what I had was I had a stress breakdown that manifested itself as a stroke in my body. And uh, so that was why I ended up not going to Asbury that summer because I was like emotionally incapable of doing it couldn't handle the homework. I couldn't handle the idea of being away from my family that long and, and all that, just the stress and pressure of everything came down on me. Yeah. I thought like it took me about six months uh, to recover and kind of feel sort of normal again, but I always felt like there's a piece of me that got broken. Yeah. 
that like I was never going to be the type of leader I was before, good and bad. I mean, there were definitely things that I needed to adjust, but there were things that about my leadership prior that had got venture to the point it is now. And I just wasn't that person anymore. 2020 snapped me back. Well, because to lead in 2020, you had to lead courageously. You had to lead fearlessly and you had to lead with vision and you had to think outside the box and you had to make quick decisions to pivot. Like I'm in a city where, you know, in Seattle, our governor, he changes the parameters like on a daily basis of what we're allowed to do and not. Yeah. And so it took someone with my leadership style, which is quick decisions, decisive decisions to navigate through all of this. And so so I, I tell people all the time, 2020 made me feel normal again. Love it. Love it. In the craziest way possible. Love it. I love it. That's so inspirational. Such a great message for people to hear. Really now I just need you to help me with my dissertation so I can officially be done with Hasbert. We'll get it done. We'll get it done. And then you can do the walk and get the wee funny hat on. And I want you to call me doctor from that point on. Yeah, of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah, I can make some jokes there. Yeah. yeah I'll just let you know that doesn't happen. Nobody calls you doctor. Like nobody. You spend your whole life trying to get it and then nobody calls you doctor. Unless they're making fun of you. That's exactly it. It'd be the ones that want to make fun of me. Yeah. It'll be my kids. My kids will call me doctor. (laughs) Yeah. And then when you are a doctor, in our game, it's not really a doctor of anything useful. You know, it's not really. So, um, but hey, listen, it's been amazing chatting to you. Thanks so much. If people want to catch up with you or follow you online, where do they go? Yeah, they can follow me on my Instagram, which is at fightpastor, F-I-G-H-T, pastor. Um, they can also, my Twitter is the same. They can follow me on my Twitter, which is at fight pastor, uh, or they can check out our church, which is our venture dot church, our venture dot church. Yeah. And you've got a great online presence with your church. I watch some Sundays cause you're so like you're eight hours behind us. So I would watch yeah later on in a Sunday evening. Um, okay. I expect you to become a member next. Yeah. I'm going to have to start giving you money. Um, but feel free yeah <laughs> hey listen thanks so much brandon take care of yourself god bless hey mark it's good catching up with you uh well, i'll bug you again right when the mcgregor poirier fight happens yeah whenever mcgregor wins okay we can talk about that cheers bye all right later bud We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Missional Formation Podcast. If you're interested in learning more information about the Missional Formation Coaching Model, visit us at missionalformationcoaching.com. We offer training that is uniquely designed to train individuals who want to be equipped in the skill set of coaching as a Missional Formation Coach. Check us out at missionalformationcoaching.com. Have a great day.